2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. You know, Roger Stahlbach, many of us know him. And I know I've spoken about him before, but he's one of my, the all-time greatest quarterbacks ever. And he played for the greatest and only real football team there is in the NFL, um, the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> and uh, there are a lot of Pittsburgh fans in here, but uh, we even got one from Washington who's a uh, Seattle fan in here. But, uh, but Roger Stallback, he, he was a Super Bowl champion. He was asked once while he was injured, how do you keep on keeping on if you're playing professional football? How do you keep on keeping on if you're playing professional football? This is while he was hurt, while he was injured. And his reply was this, if you're not playing hurt, you're not playing football. And many who played football, whether it was middle school, high school, college, if you played football and played enough of it, you realize the truth in that statement that there are always nicks and bumps and soreness and things that you experience either from practice or even that's rolling over in the games that, that you're playing with these throughout the entire time you're playing. Well, Paul expresses something very similar to this throughout his writings. If you would think about the truth of Paul's writings, you, would, you could say that Paul suggests that if you're not suffering for Christ, then maybe you're not truly serving Christ. So let me ask us this. Now, I'm not pointing fingers at anyone uh, but just let me ask us this. When we find ourselves suffering, because if we live in this life long enough, it doesn't matter if you're serving God or you're not serving God. You're going to find yourself suffering. That's just part of this life. It's because of sin. And the sin that, that began in the Garden of Eden, we have to deal with suffering. And so when we find ourselves suffering, how do we deal with it? How do we respond to our sufferings that's felt in this world. Oh, you've gotten quiet. Let me get a little closer to home. We're coming up on the end of this year. If the Lord tarries, now the next time we meet like this, it will, it will be next year. So normally when we're entering into a new year, we're tempted or we're encouraged or maybe even we're motivated to offer up New Year's resolutions. Now, with these resolutions, they are attempts for us to become a better person. Or they're commitments that we try to make in an attempt to become a better person. Whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual. You know, when we're wanting to become better physically, we will just make a resolution, I'm going to eat better this year, or I'm going to spend more time exercising this year. If we want to become emotionally better, then we're going to, we may take, want to make a resolution to take more time for ourselves or more time for our family so we're not as ill and ornery and, and cranky as we normally are throughout the run of a year. Or maybe it's spiritually we want to draw closer to the Lord this year. Well, truth of the matter is, if we don't work on the last, the first two doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter if we, if we commit to eating better and exercising more if we're not spending more time with the Lord. It doesn't matter if we're spending more time for ourselves and our families if we're not spending more time with the Lord because the truth of the matter is it profit, bodily exercise profited very little. What profits most is that we're spending time with God. Actually, we won't, we won't take care of ourselves until we start taking care of our relationship with God. So the question again becomes, uh, as we've looked back on this year and we've evaluated this year, we must evaluate ourselves and how we responded to this year. So going back to my original question, with all the suffering that's taken place this year, how have we really responded? Are we pleased with how we've responded to the sufferings? that we or others have faced this year. Now, would you like something to gauge it by? Let me give you something to gauge it by. Let's look here in this passage and we can gauge how we respond to suffering through this passage. The Bible tells us in, in chapter one, verse three, of second Corinthians the Bible says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. As For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for our consolation and salvation which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for, our, for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which we came to, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, but we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks, be, thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. This is God's holy word. God, we do thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your abundant mercies. We thank you for the comfort that comes from you. And God, we pray today that you would speak to us through your mercies and through your comfort. And God, as you speak to us, help us to see your truth and help us, God, to be comforting to others. Now, God, if there's one here today who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray that you would move upon them 
And as your Holy Spirit presses upon them their need for a Savior, we pray, God, that the day would be that day. that They call out to you and ask, what must I do to be saved? And God, we give you praise for everything that's accomplished. So God, may the meditation of my heart, may the words of my mouth be pleasing unto thee. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. In this passage, we can notice that the Apostle Paul, he describes God in two ways. He describes God as the father of mercies. Paul is describing the very nature of God toward those who've trusted his son as their Lord and Savior. Uh, The very nature of God toward us is that of a father. And as a father is merciful to his children, so is God merciful to us. His mercy is clearly seen in the fact that he so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. When we didn't deserve forgiveness of our sins, when we didn't deserve Jesus Christ coming and dying in our place, when we didn't deserve to have access to the throne of God, when we didn't deserve to to be able to have a relationship with him that would give us eternal life, God in his great mercy, just as a father has mercy upon his children, God granted us exactly what we didn't deserve. No father has ever shown the mercy that God has shown in that he gave his only begotten son so that we could have eternal life. But Paul also describes God as the God of all comfort. No matter what we face in life, God is our comforter. No matter the tribulation that comes our way, we can know that God will shower us with his comfort. One writer said it this way. He does not just give us some strength and comfort to bear the sufferings. He gives us all the strength and comfort necessary to handle all the sufferings. There is no trial too great, no pressures too heavy that God cannot match them with the comfort of the Lord Jesus Christ. This sounds to me like, this sounds to me as if the same comfort that was afforded to our Lord and Savior is offered to us. Now we may be naive and and think that, well, what kind of comfort did Christ need here on earth? Well, Let's just think about that. He was born to an unwed mother. If you've grown up born to an unwed mother, you understand the comfort needed uh, for that, for, for, for being born into this world in those circumstances, being born in a stable in the very worst of conditions. He was comforted with this, being born to poverty. Many of us know what it's like to be born to poverty and knowing that when you're going to school and you're, you, you see others who have much more than you, you need to be comforted about this. Jesus, not only that, his life was threatened even as a baby. He, he 
was caused unimaginable sorrow. He was moved and shifted around even as a newborn baby. He was reared and raised in this despicable place called Nazareth. We remember the scripture says that the, that the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees said, who is this man and what good thing cometh out of Nazareth? Or, or we find here that it appears that, that his father died even as he was a young child. He, he had to support his mother and his brothers and his sisters. He had no home here on earth, not even a place to lay his head. He was hated and opposed by the religionists. He was charged with insanity. He was charged with demon possession. He was rejected, hated, and opposed by the listeners. He was betrayed by a very close friend. He was alone. He was rejected. He was forsaken by all his friends. He was illegally tried before a high court in the land and charged with treason. He was executed in the most humiliating way possible. And if that is not enough, he left the splendor of glory and came down to this sin-cursed world to be born in a trough and laid in a trough when the world wanted nothing to do with him. Yes, he needed comfort in this world. And you know that comfort came from the God of all comfort. Hebrews 4 and 15 reminds us, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. So if we ever want to wonder, well, he doesn't know what I've been through. Oh, yes, he does. There's nothing that you and I can ever face in this world that he's not aware of, and he hasn't felt the touch of our infirmities. Jesus through all that he went through in his short-lived life here on earth. He was comforted through every trial. And you know what? So will we be. So will we be. So how is it, when we think about this passage, how is it that we can gauge our response to suffering? Well, one, Scripture tells us here in verses 6 and 7 that our, our suffering should encourage other believers. When we suffer, it's easy to become self-absorbed. Somebody should have said amen. <laughs> Isn't it? It's easy to become self-absorbed to where we're just thinking about ourselves and no one else. It's easy for us to want to feel sorry for ourselves and to have a pity party. And if we'll be honest with ourselves, we're really... Seeking attention. And if we don't get the attention that we think we should, we'll become bitter. Amen. Boy, that don't even sound like a born-again believer, does it? But it's the, it's the truth. It's as much truth as I've said today. That if we, oftentimes, if we don't get the attention we want, we become bitter. Why do you think we've had so many church splits? Why is it that so often do we find people are leaving churches and their response is, well, I was in need and they didn't meet my need. Well, the truth of the matter is the church isn't a place for the people of God to come to be served. We've got it mixed up. We think that, our, that the church is here because we pay our tithes. I want to tell you, we don't pay our tithes so that we get what 
all we want. We don't pay our tithes so that we can have privileges. The church of God is not a country club. You pay dues to a country club so that you can have privileges. But we come to the house of God to worship God, to magnify the name of his son and so that we can go out after learning about God and about what he would have for us. We go out into the world to serve the world for God. That is our duty. That is what the church is for. It's not a place for us to think that, well, I've got rights just because I'm a member. Well, if that's the case, we need to throw away the membership. This is not a country club. This is not a place where we get to just hit the table and say, I've got a right. No, we don't. The right we have is to follow Christ. You will find nowhere in scripture where it teaches that the church is to work as and function as a country club. Now it's a pitiful church that can know that their neighbor is in need and won't help their neighbor. It's a pitiful church that knows that there's trouble next door and won't go and meet help in the time of trouble. That's because when we come here, we find out more about Jesus and how we live this life so we can go out and live our lives as Jesus lived his. He never turned anyone away. He met whatever need he could. That's our duty as a church. But as the body of Christ, it's not for us to come here expecting to have our way. Instead, we who are blood-bought, born-again believers, we should not fall into that trap. We must recognize that God uses our sufferings and all the comfort he gives to encourage us and others in our salvation. True believers don't trust God today and not trust him tomorrow. True believers don't bless God when things are good and curse God when things are bad. No, we praise him in the good times. We praise him in the bad. We praise him in sickness and we praise him in health. We praise him when we're rejected and we praise him when we're accepted. And when we allow the God of all comfort to comfort us, we will suffer with the right attitude. It's when we suffer with the right attitude that the comfort that he comforts us with, comforts us with is shared with others. Man, this comfort becomes contagious. Philippians 2, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. And you've all experienced this. You've all experienced going to, going to be a blessing to someone who is, who is either sick or afflicted, and you find out that, that once you get there, that they're blessing you that they're not talking about their sickness and they're making it easy for you to visit with them and spend time with them and and you leave joyful not because you've helped them but because they've helped you we've all experienced that from time to time when Iola's Aunt Shirley passed away a lot of things happened that day I was playing in a golf tournament and and Iola had called and said, well, Shirley's back in the hospital. Well, th- what happened was that day she was released to go to the, um, the Wesley Pines. 
But not long after she got there, she had to go back to the hospital. As a matter of fact, she was taken back so quickly that soon after she was taken back, she went, as, she went right back into the same classroom or same hospital bed, same hospital room. She, she was just back that quickly. And while they're in the midst of transitioning, while suffering in her body, she comforted her daughter, telling her it's going to be okay. Things are going to be fine. When the doctor asked, asked her what was she doing, she said, nothing, just sitting here watching TV. He asked her that because her legs had started to get cold. She told Taylor to get in the bed with her. And just lay right there with her. While at the same time telling Iola, you make sure you take care of my sister Evelyn and my brother Milton Ray. When I got there, they had already moved her to ICU. And, and as soon as I got there, got to the waiting room, it was that shift time with the nurses. Everybody had to come out. You know, God has a way of comforting us in those times. And God has a way of using those who will allow him to use them to comfort others. Because it was during that shift change that Shirley transitioned on into eternity. It was during that time when no one else was around that the world, they didn't have to watch her leave this world that she was able to go on. You know, God had mercy on her. He allowed her. He allowed her to transition into eternity on her own terms. His mercy was great. And before leaving, she was able to comfort those who were trying to comfort her. What we witnessed was the mercy of a father and the comfort of a God. Folks, as born again believers, when we suffer in this world, it's not an opportunity for us to complain and gripe. It's not our opportunity to seek pity and attention from others. Instead, it's our opportunity to allow the Father of mercy to be merciful to us. He, the God of all comfort, extends to us the comfort we need to endure our suffering. And while at the same time, encouraging others through the comfort that we've received. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 tells us, For our light affliction is but for a moment, and it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look on things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know what I've come to believe? That any born-again believer who's in the midst of transition transitioning you know why they're able to comfort us because they begin to see what we can't see they begin to see what's waiting over yonder do you ever have that moment when you're just longing to go be with the Lord and I believe that as people are transitioning who know Jesus is their savior are transitioning into a place where they're longing to be but not only that they're beginning to get glimpses of it that is so real that they're just waiting to go so they're letting us know that it's okay and they're comforting us. So when we find ourselves suffering in this world, do we recognize the mercy 
of our Heavenly Father? Do we recognize all the mercies that's been extended to us? And do we allow the God of all comfort to comfort us so that we are a comforting presence to others? Uh, Some of you may have had this virus. Some of you've had the flu. Some of you've been sick. Some of you've dealt with cancer. Some of you will deal with cancer. Some of you will deal with heart disease. And I, I never saw Brother Curley complaining or griping about the aneurysms he was dealing with. The men, there's men in this church who's, who's went through uh, treatments for cancer that I didn't know they were going through them until they were in the midst of it. And I heard about it because they weren't complaining. They weren't seeking attention for it. Oh, I'm blessed to be at a place like this. Man, so often I hear you say, preacher, don't worry about me. You've got your family. You've got so much to worry about. So often, if you would only know so often how each other are saying, there's so much going on at the church. You take care of them. I'm okay. Folks, it's a blessing to me to hear that from those who are sick. And how many times ain't Brother Ted said that to me and Brother Bruce shared the same things to me and others in here who said, preacher, we're okay. Just take care of the ones, take care of the others who are suffering. You know, I talked with Miss Berlin. I guess the oldest member we have right now, and that's what she tells me every time I speak with her. I'm okay, preacher. Keep taking care of the others. <laughs> oh, what a blessing it is to be at a place where people understand that there's a father in heaven who is a father of all mercy. <laughs> But he's not just the father of mercy, but he's the God of all comfort. Yes, we can gauge our response to our suffering when we see that our suffering encourages others, that through our suffering, others are encouraged. But also, that through our suffering... We become an example to others. The Apostle Paul was an example to us. That we, he was an example that we could trust God in the midst of our suffering. Now what we know is that Paul in this passage has suffered tremendously. And he speaks about his suffering in Asia. But he doesn't speak specifically as to what the suffering was. What it was he was actually enduring. What we know is that whatever he suffered, he was delivered from it. Whatever he suffered, not only was he delivered from it, but he was going to continue to be delivered from his sufferings. In none of the circumstances, when we find Paul himself suffering, can we find that he's looking for a way to save himself. Instead, he found that God was faithful and he could trust God in the midst of his suffering. If we would think back to all that we faced and what God has brought us through, we would find that we could give a testimony such as Paul gave in 2 Corinthians 4. 
verses 7 through 9, when Paul said, but we have a treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. In in, in other words, Paul would say, God is faithful and we can trust him no matter what comes our way. If you've lived the Christian life any length of time, this should be awfully familiar to you. And because of this, we found that there is a a great value in prayer. Paul gives credit for the prayers that others offered up to him. He is saying that God moves on behalf of of prayers of those who sought him on his behalf. So if I've learned anything in this world I've learned that I need and I desire your prayers. Not just yours, but the prayers of the redeemed. James 5 and 6 says that the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. And if I need prayers for others, chances are there's someone in this world who needs prayer from me. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, according to John's gospel, while praying, he asked God to take the cup away from him that it would be removed but nevertheless not his will but God's will be done but he went a little further in that prayer he began to pray for the disciples that were with him and and he's sharing that God these disciples that are with me they belong to you Jesus knew he was soon to be back with the Father just as he had been with the disciples. Now he was trusting God to be with them. As a matter of fact, he, he's praying that God would keep them from the evil one. But that wasn't all he prayed. Not just for himself and, and for the disciples. He also prayed for you and I. If you look in there, he, Jesus didn't just trust God for the disciples but he trusted him with us. He prayed that the father of mercies and the God of all comfort would, would unite us together in Jesus' name. And he prayed that we would all be one just as God the father and God the son is one. Oh, let me, let me make this real clear. Whenever we're upset with one another, <laughs> let, me, let me fix it so it, it'll relate. When you're upset with me, know that God is pray, Jesus prayed that you and I would be as one. Whenever you're upset with your neighbor, God, Jesus prayed that you and your neighbor would be as one. And just as God answered his prayer for him and the disciples, he's answering the prayer for us as well. He's began a work in us that he's going to complete. Folks, if Jesus, the only begotten son of the living God, felt it was profitable to pray, I'm convinced that we should too. If he trusted God enough to seek his face, then we who received Jesus, our personal savior, can trust God and seek his face. And as Jesus interceded on the disciples' behalf and interceded on our behalf, we should intercede on behalf of each other. And as we see the hand of God working in our lives and in the lives of our neighbors, as we see his hand working in the midst of suffering, 
we'll find ourselves giving thanks for his mercy and discomfort. Listen, I, I don't know about you, but I began, I saw the mercy. I didn't see it in the midst of the sickness, but I saw the mercy in God taking my father. He was no longer the man I grew up idolizing. He was no longer the man that, that, that had took care of me and raised me to be the man that I am. He had become a very shell of that man. And I saw the mercy in God taking him to be with him. Oh, God comforted me with a comfort that I can't explain and can't describe. But a comfort I refuse to be ashamed of. <laughs> I refuse to feel guilty of. It's a comfort when I knew I'd done all I could do. God came and done what I couldn't do. And he gave him life forevermore. Oh, we can know that God's mercy and his comfort, it's everlasting. He is the God of, he's the father of mercies. And he's the God of all comfort. Unsaved. Whether you recognize it, whether you acknowledge it, you have received and you've experienced the mercy and the comfort of God. It's, it's been on you all your life. Or oh, he would have took you before you had your next breath. Took you to keep you from calling upon the name of Jesus. But his mercy is with you. But you're refusing his grace. You're receiving what you don't deserve. Because <laughs> you don't deserve his mercy. But you're rejecting his grace. The gift of God, eternal life. Today, this last Sunday of the year, would be a wonderful Sunday to give your life to Jesus. It would be a wonderful day. To turn your life over to the Father of all mercies. The God of all comfort. But it's up to you. It's up to you. He's not going to force you to serve him. He's not going to force you to heaven. But he offers it with a love like no other love you'll ever experience. So he lays it at your feet. Will you trample over it? Or will you receive it? Jesus died for your sins to grant you forgiveness so you wouldn't have to bear the guilt and shame of your sin and on the third day he arose from the grave so that you wouldn't have to feel the sting of death so that the grave would not have victory over you So what will your decision be? Will you today call 
on the Father of mercy. Will you receive the God of all comfort by accepting his son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior? As they begin to sing this song, would you today? Would you make this day, this last Sunday of this year, be the last Sunday that you run with the devil and be the first Sunday that you begin to walk with God. It's up to you. Would you come?